This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, hello everybody. I'm Ray. I'm your host. And you're listening to a show called 100 Words or Less, the podcast in which we discuss independent music and the people that make it up from either people who are playing in bands, working at record labels, or have taken the principles that they learned from this beautiful music scene and applied it to their daily life in other cool artistic endeavors. Wow, that's a very nice, I was about to say succinct, but no, I'm never succinct. People still ask me, why do you name the show 100 words or less? And I always am just like, well, first of all, I wasn't thinking too much, but because the idea is that, you know, back in the day <laughs> at school, you were always taught to describe certain things, uh, you know, hey, in 100 words or less, write about the, you know, this particular historical event or whatever. They wanted you to be succinct. And anybody that's ever met me knows that that is not a skill that I have. Obviously, I have a podcast in which I talk for an hour plus to people. So anyways, it, it's an ironic title, but uh, it's stuck and I like it. So um, there you go. There's a little uh, historical lesson for those of you that still wonder like, yo, what does this have to do with anything? So anyways, there you go. But the guest this week is Mr. Vinny Karuna, who is the vocalist for great bands like The Movie Life, I Am The Avalanche, and he also has done his solo project, which is is coming out or has come out very shortly on Equal Vision Records. And um, he's just a prolific solo artist because he's done a lot of stuff with a lot of cool different, cool record labels, cool different, like that's a word. Oh, I, I'm a little frantic right now. Uh, and that's partially because I'm going to be traveling in about, a, uh, I think, three or four days because I will be going to Washington, D.C. for a nice little family vacation. We always do a little summer vacay with the, the parents and my family and such. So uh, if you're in Washington, D.C. and you'd like to recommend some cool vegan spots or some sweet record stores, I'm always down for that because most of these places I do a lot of research on because really my travel plans usually consist of show me cool stuff to look at give me good vegan food to eat and show me the cool record stores uh not necessarily in that order but uh basically as long as i accomplish some variation of those it's a successful vacation so anyways that's what i'm doing and it's not like i'm anxious about traveling but it's definitely one of those things where it's like all right i gotta pack all the stuff and do all this and do all that but anyways and for those of you that downloaded the episode last week with uh, jesse from kill switch engage there were a lot of you and i always get really really excited when new people join under the show so thank you if you are trying this out again and being like okay i'm gonna see see what this show is all about listen to more people so, yeah, let me get some other uh, thoughts off my chest, and then we will uh, get into the rest of the episode. I have to speak about the Orlando attacks, and uh, the day before the Orlando attacks, a singer, pop star, I don't know what you describe her as, but I'll call her a singer, uh, Christina Grimmie. These are two things that, that really deeply affected me, uh, partially just because they uh, happened one day after another. And I worked with this girl, Christina Grimmie, uh, when I was doing some work with uh, PETA 2. And we did like an animal adoption thing with her. And um, it just, I don't know, it's, it's so heartbreaking. Like, obviously, everybody has expressed their feelings and sentiments in some capacity of this. And I honestly wasn't ready to really say anything about it last week. And it's, um, yeah, it's just heavy. It's, there's, there's nothing that's right about uh, either of these scenarios where people who shouldn't have guns have guns and they enact these 
bloodthirsty campaigns on trying to make a point. And it's just, uh, it's heartbreaking in so many ways. Cause I, I can't imagine anyone in my family being gunned down at a club that they're having fun with. Like, just imagine, obviously like you're going to a show and someone walks in and starts firing. It's like, it breaks my heart into a million pieces. Like talking about it right now makes my gut spin and my heart hurt. And I'm really not using that as a hyperbole. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. So ultimately I never like to bring people down in these intros because this is a, uh, you know, a positive environment, but just take care of one another. And I know it's like the thoughts and prayers, like that doesn't do anything and legislation and you should be speaking to your Senator. Those are all true. That is absolutely true. We need to do, we need to take action against these things that we uh, believe, you know? I mean, I, I make choices in my life to not support the meat and dairy industry, not support the alcohol industry, and I also don't support, uh, you know, gun ownership in regards to these killing machines of semi-automatic weapons uh, in people's hands, and it's just, yeah. Anyways, I'll get off my soapbox, but please, just just take care of each other. That's all I, I, that's all I ever want for anybody, because uh, we ultimately are on this weird planet figuring things out and uh no none of us know what we're doing but we definitely know when we're looking at the face of evil and looking at the tools that they use to carry out these horrendous acts and we know that we need to there needs to be a separation there it can't be this easy so anyways stepping off but i all i need to give a special thank you to Jesse Lynch, who on my last episode, I was like, hey, my show's quiet and I don't know how to fix that. So I know that some of you that listen to this are like, yo, I got to crank it up. And, um, you know, I'm sorry. I'm doing the best that I can from an audio perspective, but um, some kind people have written me. And uh, Jesse took a stab at this week's episode on making sure that the volume was appropriate. So thank you very much to him for reaching out. And I appreciate that. And thank you very much to everybody else who reached out after him and was like, hey, I'd love to help. So uh, if I do need your help, I will hit you up and uh, I will thank you. So anyways, let's get on with Vinny Karuna. He, uh, he's, I tried to meet up with him like a year or so ago when I was in New York city and we just weren't able to connect, but, um, it was great. Uh, it, this conversation was super fun and uh, I was glad we were able to do it. So here is my discussion with Vinny and, uh, he'll be your new best friend after this. Okay. I'll talk to you in a bit. I definitely think the uh, sort of take you back to this is probably, oh man, 99, 2000. So, uh, movie life and kill your idols at the PCH Club in Wilmington, California. Because um, I'm from Southern California. Yeah. So, it was one of those things where uh, I was familiar with what you guys were doing uh, prior to you guys signing to Rev. Um, but it was it was one of those things I always really admired, and I loved the fact that you never toured with bands that made any sense for you guys to tour with, besides the fact that they were your friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was always one of those things, and like obviously coming from a punk and hardcore scene, like you know you got it. It's like bands that sound alike, that tour alike. It just didn't happen that frequently, especially during that time. Yeah, a lot of mixed bills and stuff. Right, for sure. Um, I, I, pr- I presume that obviously before, you know, kind of uh, the independent music scene started to kind of filter up in the, you know, early 2000s to mid 2000s, I presume that was what it was like for you guys always, where you were always the, the kind of odd band out on most bills. We did grow. I mean, we're all from the hardcore scene on Long Island and, and New York City. Um, so 
Yeah, I mean, we were in that scene and those were our friends and uh, we never really met, we never wrote hardcore music. Um, But you know how it is, like, when you're a hardcore kid, you're a hardcore kid, that's just the way it works, it's regardless of, and you go through those channels. Um, It's not like, hey, we're not hardcore, so let's find, like, the alternative whatever other scene, there's no other scene. There's a, there's a hardcore scene, and that, and the hardcore scene, half of the bands that played in the hardcore scene, like Long Island bands, weren't hardcore. Um, right. But we, we were just in it, you know? Right. So, yeah, it didn't, it didn't matter as long as it was, uh, you know, somewhat fast and somewhat aggressive. That's, that's fine. That's all you needed to do. Yeah, like, we would probably not play with 25 to Life or something like that, but if it was, you know, like, we were definitely on bills with heavier, more aggressive hardcore bands and melodic bands and everything in between. I mean, a lot of the hardcore, you know, half of the hardcore that was happening on Long Island did have a lot of melody to it back then. Um, So I think we just kind of went from there. It was basically, Silent Majority was really, really the the uh, like the best band on Long Island and the band that I would go and see every time they played and when we started a band I feel like I kind of steered it as much as I possibly could to sound like Silent Majority because <laughs> I, I love them sure there's a, there's also I, I'm always fascinated with this band because I, I found it so interesting that they um, for whatever reason had a lot a pretty I would I wouldn't say substantial fan base, but they had people that knew who they were. That band Inside from Long Island too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It That's was, uh, that was the first my first time ever in California. We we played with Inside. That was our first tour. Was it? It was at Coos Cafe, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. We played everywhere. We played a lot. We played in Riverside at the Barn. Yep. We played at Coos. We played. Shit, where else do we play? I don't think you guys played. Did you ever play the Showcase Theater in Corona? I don't think you did. I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe we did, but later on. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just always, it was so interesting to, because like, obviously, even though the internet existed in its infancy that time, it it was really diff, it was really interesting for bands, you know, with 3,000 miles apart to be able to play like Southern California and have an audience. Like, it was so weird how Inside was just like, oh yeah, there's like, you know, 150 kids at Coos Cafe watching Inside. And you're just like, well, why? Like, how did this happen? But it's like, well, they signed to a record label in Southern California. So there was more people checking them out. It was just so, so interesting to me. Yeah, and that was the whole thing. They were they we were buddies with them. Eddie who um Eddie Reyes who's now in Taking Back Sunday. He started the movie life after it, he uh left Inside. So Eddie was in Inside and he left, but we were all still friends. And Tommy from Silent Majority's little brother who's also named Vinny played in it. He was in inside and we were all buddies. So they asked us to come out and that was the whole thing. They were like, listen, the point is to get to California. Cause like there's people there that know us <laughs> and we're just like, Oh cool. That, that should be cool. And, uh, that tour was like, it was basically that. I mean, back then it was, it was different. You know, if a show was happening, there would be people there. Uh, maybe 50, maybe 100, maybe 200. But like now it's like, it's different. There's so many bands and shows are not mostly not on DIY levels anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back then we, you know, we played in like fucking 
uh, where the hell were we? We played in some weird town in West Virginia. There was a bunch of people there. Zayo played. Right. It was, it was like, because like any like local band or whatever would play. And then there was like, maybe we played in Chicago somewhere. And then the next show was in like Montana. And it was like that. Like we played really strange cities, like wherever we could get like someone on the internet to like, you know, say, yeah, I'll put on a show for you in my garage or right. something, you know? And, and, uh, yeah, it was like a three week tour. And I swear, I think we only played like 11 shows. <laughs> I, 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 di- I didn't mean for us to go down this path, but I do love that that notion because it, it was the promise of good shows where it was like, we will travel to the ends of the earth as long as we could play a show in front of, you know, like you said, 50, 75, it didn't matter. But it's like, it always was that promise of like, either if you're from the West Coast, it was like, oh man, like maybe you'll play a good show in, you know, Virginia and Richmond or whatever. But then it was that promise. You're just, but then you were like, we got to play like, how do we get out there? <laughs> exactly. Like, and th- th- there's such a drive, you know, a drive to just have a good show. And wow, wouldn't that be fun? Like, what what could be better than, like, playing on Long Island and having all of our friends mosh and stuff? If we could do that in other cities, that would be cool. So, yeah, that's exactly what we, we did. That so many times. We drove to Louisville, Kentucky from Long Island to play one show right. because the guy from Initial Records, uh, Andy... Yeah. really liked us right. and we showed up and we opened for boy sets fire and like king for a day and some other stuff like initial bands and we were like after the show we were like we were good like that was good that was a good show you think he was gonna sign us and then we all went out to dinner and he sat at a different table <laughs> and he's hung out with boy sets fire and ignored us and he was like, cool, we'll have like a safe trip home. And then uh, we drove all the way back from Louisville to Long Island, all like defeated. And then like a week later, Revelation, uh, Jason Upright at Revelation got in touch with us and was like, I got the Emo Diaries compilation and I really like your song and I want to sign you to Rev. And then uh, Andy from Initial came in with like a late offer <laughs> to try <laughs> to so try and steal us from from rev and we were like we drove all the way the fuck down there we wanted to sign to your label uh yeah it's funny dude that's hilarious i didn't i, I the both of those stories i've never heard i mean i knew i i became friends with uh, jason upright so he told me how he found out about you guys but uh, i had no idea i knew because you guys did a seven inch on initial right yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, eventually, Andy was like, okay, we'll do 7-inch. And we were still like, oh, my God, we're doing a 7-inch on initial. Um, and it was cool. I mean, it was really special for all of us at that time because we had been working really hard and we had been touring a lot um, without anybody knowing who we are and just touring, playing basements and playing, jumping on random shows here. And that was always what a tour was built around. It's like, all right, we're going to have five random shows. A few of them might be good. But then, you know, in, in this town, we're playing with actual bands that people know. Right. And we jumped on to open. And, like, that would be the highlight of each week. Like, that that inside tour was like, all right, we're playing California. It's going to be sick. Okay, the next week's going to be weird. And then in Denver, we're going to play with Botch. And we're like, sick, we're going to play with Botch. And then meanwhile, it's like, what? 
why would that be good? Like, how is the movie life <laughs> opening for Botch going to be going to do anything for the band? You know, right? Um, that's incredible. Yeah, I love. I just I, I love those feelings uh, that you're that you're evoking because I, I think anybody that's ever played in a band can identify with and be able to understand that it was the build up for something that is so in the grand scheme of things so inconsequential. Like you said, like playing in botch, like this could be a huge show, and then you're like, cool, we sold like seven shirts. <laughs> oh God, I think we brought seven shirts on the whole tour. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, um, so b- backing up, you were you were born and raised in Long Island, correct? Or is that not? Yeah, I was born and raised in a town called Merrick, which is about 25 miles. It's on the south shore of Long Island. So it's about 25 miles east of Manhattan. Got it. And was uh, was the uh, city always looming large in your life in regards to like, oh man, one of, the, one of these days we'll be able to hang out a lot more there? Or was it just like, you like the suburbs? Um, we grew up in a pretty good spot, like middle class town that was only about 15 minute drive to the beach, uh, which was really great. So that was a big part of, of like the summer. And for us, like we would go to the beach a lot. That was kind of our thing. Um, and like go fishing and stuff like that. And, uh, and yeah, the city was there and we would go as kids, we would go there with our parents, obviously, like only when they brought us there. And my dad grew up in Brooklyn in South Brooklyn. And when he left, he wasn't really that interested in going back Mm -hmm. to Brooklyn or the city. So my dad didn't really put a whole lot of emphasis on the city. He was just kind of like, I'm over it. Like I live there forever. It's not that cool. And, um, you know, he was over it. He was down to be in the suburbs and have like a yard and, and, you know, do that kind of stuff. So, um, pretty much, I guess maybe I was about, 13 or 14 when I first went to the city without my parents and I went with my brother. Uh, I have two older brothers who both were into hardcore and stuff. And, um, yeah, the first time I went to the city, we, you do like the stops, you like, you go to Bleaker Bob's like a record shop and then you go to like whatever other record shop. And like, basically my whole mission was to buy a minor threat shirt, which I did. And, uh, that was the thing. Like, it's like, oh my god, you can go to a store and buy like a hardcore band T-shirt. That's amazing. Like, I need to go there. So, we went there within like two hours of being in the city. This is a long time ago. This is probably like 1992 or something like that. 1991 or 1992. We're walking around the East Village, and this gang of kids just starts following us, and it's clear that they're going to kill us. And so they start chasing us and they're running after me and my brother and another friend of ours. My brother's like 17 and I'm like 13 or whatever. And they run up and we jump in a parked cab and close the door and the doors weren't locked. And the kid opens the door and just starts wailing on my brother. My brother's slamming the car door on the kid's arm, must have broken his arm. And then the guy locks the door and then the kid pulls a gun out of his pants. And this kid must have been my age pulls a gun out and uh, the taxi driver sees it and just books it across the intersection, like through a red light. And we got out of there. And that was my, my first introduction into the city. And my brother just looks at my brother's bleeding and he just looks at me and he just goes, if you tell mom and dad that this happened, you're never going to be able to go to the city again. (laughs) And I was just like, and all you want to do as a kid is be like, 
mom, right. you know, like I, I saw a gun and BJ, my brother's name is BJ. BJ got punched and, and then he closed the car door on the guy's arm and broke his arm and he was on the ground. And, but I, that was like a huge learning experience for me. I was like, all right, I can't say anything or else it's all the fun's over. <laughs> Cause even though like that was terrifying, like I knew how exciting we all knew how special it was that we lived in New York. You know what I mean? And like, once you get older and start liking things and like, you know, forming opinions and like getting into stuff, music and whatever else, like you're stoked that you're here because obviously, you know, New York's pretty, pretty fantastic. I mean, you can, it's got everything. Um, it's the heart of it all pretty much. And so we all grew up knowing that. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. That's a very, uh, yeah, I, I like the details that you filled in there because it's, it's really emblematic of obviously when you're uh, younger and you have this experience that, you know, galvanizes you towards a city where you're just like, all right, if I go there, I gotta, I gotta pay attention. Like this, this isn't just a walk in the park, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And be aware. Um, this isn't, this isn't Merrick. This is, you know, Right. It's a different story. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I mean, we're talking about even like, you know, that kind of thing happens now. And this was a long time ago before a lot of uh, a lot of the yuppification has has happened here. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And so like you what did your parents do for a living as you got? So it's you 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 were the younger child and you have two older. Brothers? I'm the youngest of three boys. OK, so what did your parents do for a living as they were uh, you were growing up? My dad was an art teacher. Okay. He's retired. And my mom worked in the seafood in the seafood industry, like on the business end. Like she was like a creditor in the seafood industry. Got it. But basically just an office job that she once once we were all old enough, she she needed to get any old job to uh you know, start helping with the bills and stuff. Yo, you've heard me talk about them before, but I can't thank SeatGeek enough because I love what they do. SeatGeek takes all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. So whatever event you're looking to go to, whether it's, I I bought some tickets for Louis CK, I'm very excited about that, and I use SeatGeek. So what they do is they pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place and you save time and you never miss the best value for them because what they do is they color code this stuff. They're like, all right, hey, I want to go see this show, this event, and they've got green bubbles and yellow bubbles and red bubbles and it's like green this is a deal. Please buy this ticket now. It's amazing. And on top of that, many of the venues have view from your seat tickets where it's like, oh, I wonder what it looks like from this particular seat. You hover over it and SeatGeek goes, hey, check it out. This is what it's going to look like. I love it. And best of all, they're always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike many of those other ticket vendors, they show you the full price from start to finish and never try to kick up the fees on you. It's awful. So what I want you to do is get $20 for using SeatGeek. And this is incredible. Just do it. I did it. I got $20 and it's amazing. So download the free SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code words. And then after your first purchase, SeatGeek will give you $20. Dude, it's a win-win situation. Basically, it's like $20 off whatever show or concert you're attending. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter the promo code words. W-O-R-D-S. Do it now or I won't be your friend. Well, no, I will, but just do it now. So would you uh, define your childhood, relatively speaking, um, as pretty, you know, idyllic in regards to like, oh, you know, your parents got along, like everything seemed to be, you know, moving forward pretty, uh, pretty promisingly? 
Yeah, it was it was good. I mean, we we didn't grow, we didn't have a whole lot of money when we were growing up, um, but we we never, you know, we always, you know, it was, the answer wasn't always yes when we wanted things, <laughs> and uh, and that was the way things were. It was more like you need to work for it, and I want I want to get this. Well, you need to work for it. So our lifestyle as as kids, like on the weekends when our friends were playing and stuff and doing fun stuff, we would have to put in some pretty serious manual labor before we were able to do that. Um, so that's, that was our thing. Our thing was we would get an allowance, maybe 10 bucks a week, but we would have to put in, you know, Saturday from like eight o'clock till one or two and Sunday till whenever we would have to do like yard work and all this type of like, we would have a list when we would wake up. And we would all look and we would each have our own things underneath our list. So that was basically like our our childhood was uh, you can have fun, but you're going to have like half the amount like of time to have fun because you're going to work and you're going to learn how to be, you know, responsible and you're going to learn to have a work ethic and things like that. Nice. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, it's a very uh, yeah working class uh, upbringing where it's like, yeah, you're not going to want for much. But at the same time, like you got to. You got to put in the elbow grease in order to get it. Yeah, you won't be spoiled. Um, the answer is going to be no most of the time. And, and you know, they had three kids on a teacher's salary. And, and you know, once my mom started working, you know, things things were cool and stuff. And, and you know, we had, they had three boys that all grew up playing sports and, like, playing soccer and playing ice hockey and we all were on different teams playing in different states and going to different tournaments. And that was like the other side of life really for us was sports. Right. So that they, they let us do all that stuff, but that really was expensive for them. So that was like most of the money went to that kind of thing. Sure. Um, so vacations were not like, we didn't go on luxurious vacations. We would go like camping at the beach, like on Long Island and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, and so then, obviously, as you started to kind of grow up and, you know, sports, like you mentioned, were obviously such a huge part of your life. Um, it, it, when did, because uh, I, I, I imagine that obviously, uh, since all of you <laughs> started to shift your eye towards, you know, independent music and started to get into that, um, was it one of those things that your parents were uh, alarmed <laughs> once they started, you guys started to bring this, uh, I guess, left of center stuff that they are not used to home? Or was it generally just kind of like, well, we'll keep our eyes on it, but, um, you know, we'll let them explore? Um, I, as far as like shows went, um, when they saw that we all got into shows, like got into Long Island, basically like long, early Long Island hardcore scene, it was like, I don't, I don't remember there being a whole lot of resistance. Like I would say like half the time my mom would just be like, you can't go to that. Like watch like, cause you can't go to every show you, you have to like, you know? So it was more like I would have to pick and choose. And for the first few years I, I couldn't go to show. I was really young. It was like maybe 11 when I went to my first show. And it was only because my older brother, um, who's, what he's like four and a half five years older than me the oldest one he had a band and uh like a local band and his best friends and all the guys from my town you know the band vision of disorder absolutely 
So those guys, grew, those guys, we, we grew up in the same neighborhood, and those were all my older brothers, like best buddies, and they still are. Um, so that was how I got into everything because I was allowed to go to like to see VOD early, early incarnation of VOD. This is like their first shows. They didn't even have a bass player. They would just play like two guitar players and that's it. And, uh, so yeah, I was allowed to go to VOD shows because my brothers were going to be there. And like, so, and they hated that I think in the beginning, cause I had to tag along and stuff. But, um, yeah, for the first few years, I could only go to shows that they were going to be at and that, the, and that they didn't mind me being at. Um, but uh, I've lost my train of thought. Where am I? No, it's at? okay. It's just basically your you, your parents trusted uh, the the idea of you you know going to shows and getting into this stuff um, as long as yeah. it was obviously you know supervised in the sense of okay your brother's friends are going to watch out for you. Yeah, and I didn't, and I don't think they knew. Like there was a lot of the, there was definitely violence. Like I definitely experienced a lot of people knew each other and stuff, which was cool. So it wasn't that violent the scene, but I definitely opened. <laughs> Some situations happen, like, at some of the shows where I was like, oh, my God, if my parents knew that it was like this, um, th- they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be down. But um, I think my parents got... I, I, as soon as I got into hardcore, I became straight edge. And I think my parents were super pumped on that. Um, all they knew is that I wasn't going to be, like, drinking and doing drugs. And they were pretty stoked about that part yeah. of it. No, it's, yeah. it's that that because uh, I'm the same way. I'm actually still straight edge myself. But like, it, you find out that it's like, oh wait a minute, like this buys me a little more opportunity to, um, you know, whatever push whatever boundaries <laughs> of a curfew that there may be. Just because your parents, there's that underlying understanding of like, oh, like they're really not. They can get in trouble, but like I'm not going to be picking them up in jail because of you know a DUI or something like that. You know, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. and. Um, yeah, they were uh, they were down. They were straight edge went a long way. I mean, I even I, I extorted money out of my parents from being straight edge because they paid my brother. My brothers would like were getting into some of that like drugs and like doing what kids do in high school. And um, I remember going to my parents and being like. I remember my mom bribing my brothers and saying, listen, if you stop smoking, I'll give you a hundred dollars. Oh, wow. And, and, um, they didn't. And then eventually they did. And they literally, my, 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 my mother paid them off to stop smoking. So I went over and I'm like, hold on a second. I don't drink. I don't do anything. I don't smoke. I've never touched anything, which wasn't true, actually. Like, when I was really young, like, when I was, like, 11 to, like, 13, I was smoking pot and drinking and starting to go down, like, a pretty dirtbaggy kind of road for an 11-year-old. Sure. And, um, and yeah, so uh, I, my mom was like, you know what? You're totally right, and I got 100 bucks. That's amazing. <laughs> You're like, I did this preemptively to your deal, so I should be grandfathered into this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I negotiated a pretty good deal for myself. I love it. Um, 
you, you strike me. I'm gonna, you know, put some projections on you from what I know about you. You seem like a person who, uh, like, once you started to develop your own identity, um, you were maybe the type of guy at high school where you could kind of go between different groups of friends in regards to like, oh yeah, because you know, Vinny obviously played sports, and you have the you know language and skills to be able to participate in that world. But then also, you obviously have the you know straight edge punk hardcore scene that you're a part of. Um, is that accurate, or or did you kind of find yourself gravitating towards uh, one or the other? It's accurate. Um, I definitely, and and I grew up in the kind of town where, like, you know, I think VOD had a lot to do with it. Actually, like when when I first started going to shows, I, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I don't belong here anymore. I don't belong in this playing sports. Like, I, I really liked sports, and I basically just concentrated on soccer for most of my like adolescent life. And I really love that sport, and I still do. And um, so I, I was never, I never thought, oh, it's not cool to do sports now that I like punk music, you know. And then um, a lot of, a lot of like, a lot of people in school, like when I got to high school, I could see that a lot of like the more kind of mainstreamy kind of kids and even like jockey kind of kids and stuff were like really down with. Just because VOD was such... I don't think people realize how much of a monstrosity VOD was. Like, a big hardcore show would be a few hundred people on Long Island. There wasn't that many people in the beginning. You know, I was kind of like... I got into hardcore in Long Island when I was, like, in 1992. Not that much was going on before that. Like, late 80s, early 90s is when shit really... You know, I kind of caught the end of the first wave. And, um, and then like there was a million more waves, but, um, yeah, like people, people got super into VOD, um, because they, they, like they, VOD played a show out of nowhere and a thousand people came to the show. And that's when I was like, oh my God, these are like the guys down the block. And literally like, I don't know anybody at this show. Like it used to be like, you know, everybody at the show, or at least you recognize people. Um, and that became a thing where it kind of crossed over, like at the pep rally, like on my first, like my first pep rally in high school where I'm just like standing in the bleachers, like the team came out to VOD, like the football team. That's amazing. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So like the people weren't going, Oh, you guys are uncool because of like hardcore. They were all like, Oh, I kind of want to get down with this. You know what I mean? Right. So there was like a big crossover in my town where and and my town was a really peaceful town like it wasn't like you know like jocks versus like you know stoners and this and that everybody was pretty mellow i would say it was a really boring high school experience because nothing really happened because everyone was just like hey what's up you know hello i'm going to interrupt the show to tell you about an amazing sponsor that has come back to the show and i'm very excited about it it is audible so you love books, right? I mean, who doesn't love books? If you don't love books, then you know, you're doing something wrong with your life. But what Audible does is like, clearly you, I'm pointing at you, you like audio entertainment. And what Audible does is takes all those books that you've been meaning to read and puts them on your device, your, your iPad, your Kindle Fire, your Android phone, your Windows phone, whatever it is, you can listen to amazing books from anywhere and it has this really really cool feature that's the called the great listen guarantee so if you listen to it and then you hate the book 
no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. So I have to key you in on one of these books that I've recently listened to that's incredible. It is called Boys Among Men, which is basically about, I love basketball. So it's really exciting because they focus on all of these kids in the 90s. You're Kobe Bryant, you're Kevin Garnett. These are the first guys that are making the leap from high school to the pros and how that changed the sport and the way that we as a culture view that sport in particular. Amazing book. Jonathan Abrams is the author and he also is the person who reads the book to you and it's incredible it's 11 hours it's so much content i love it but just for listeners of this show audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership free so you can sample a bunch of different stuff but go to audible.com backslash 100 words today to start your free trial again show your support for this show and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com backslash 100 words w-o-r-d-s do it up you've got nothing to lose i love audible that i also really like the 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 picture that you painted in regards to uh, you know vision of disorder because obviously like you know they you know made it outside of long island but just the uh i mean honestly i would equate it to the same way that uh people don't have the context at this day and age, obviously, for like how big, you know, Victory Records was in the mid 90s, or even, you know, your experience of being on drive through records, where it's just like the monstrosity that was that record label. Like, you can't even, people don't even understand where it's just like, what do you mean they had like multiple stages on like Warp Tour? And like they could essentially like put any band they wanted on Warp Tour, and Warp Tour is like, sure, you know, it's like it doesn't, those things don't make sense devoid of context, you know? Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so I, I have to presume that obviously the movie life was not your first band. Uh, did you sample playing in bands like when you were in high school and did you always, were you always gravitated towards being the vocalist? I wasn't, no. Um, I would like singing along at shows and participating in like basically a scene. Uh, and I, that was good enough for me. Like I enjoyed just being in the hardcore scene and hanging out and, and, having buds and going to shows and having, you know, a lot of touring bands would come through and we would just be pumped. And like, that was it. But, uh, I never, never, never thought about being a singer in a band. Um, I, I played, I could keep a beat on the drums. I wasn't very good. And, um, I did, I played in a band in like ninth and 10th grade. We never played a show. We basically just like got our rocks off in the basement and like girls would come and hang out and we thought that was cool and they thought we were cool and that was it. Um, never played a show, so I can't even count it as a band. Um, so yeah, Movie Life's my first band. And I never, I never thought of being in a band. Um, I was singing with... I grew up with Daryl the Palumbo, the singer of Glassjaw, and uh, we were good buddies. We were kind of... We were kind of the two young guys in the beginning. Like, I we became friends because we were basically like, "Oh, what's up?" Like, you, you and I are similar. We like the same stuff. Yeah, and then I saw I was like fishing, like on the docks, like in the canals in my town, and him and his uncle came up, and he I was wearing an anthrax shirt, and he's like, "You like anthrax?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "I've seen you at shows." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go to shows." You you know the VOD guys I'm like yeah, and then we were friends. Um, I love it. And then what was the point of that? Well, I, 
my fucking brain is fried right now. No, it's okay. That's that, that's why you have uh, hopefully a person like me to be able to guide you through that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but so the the uh, basically you were just running through the playing in like first bands and. Oh right, yeah. So so Daryl um, had a song on like Glassjaw's first EP that had like two vocal parts. And so he's like, yo, and we would like sing together and stuff and just basically sing along to like records while we were driving around and stuff. So he was like, yeah, you should sing with me. So every once in a while at a Glassjaw show, which were always, you know, this was like very early Glassjaw, like, and they played in a basement somewhere out east on Long Island. And I sung with them. And Eddie from, he was playing... He he was in Clockwise, who was a pretty good melodic hardcore band from Long Island. And then he was in Inside. Inside was broken up. He was starting a new band. And he was like, you should try out for my new band. And I was like, oh, my God, Eddie from Clockwise. And he was in Mind Over Matter, too, in the early days. And I was just like, uh, what? That's crazy. Like, I don't really sing. He's like, you just did. You're good. Like, it's cool. And uh, come try out. I remember going home telling my brother, like, Eddie, who, Eddie, who was, like, older than my brother, like, Eddie asked me to try out for his new band. And he's like, what? Crazy. That's nuts. And so I didn't know what to do. Um, and he's like, here's a song. Why don't you just write to this and then come? I'm like, write to this. So I went to Daryl's house. Daryl wrote it and taught me, <laughs> told me where to sing shit. And that was it. I tried out for Movie Life with this song that Daryl wrote the lyrics to. And then obviously I figured figured it out after that. Right. Well, especially I, I like the notion that obviously um, you you had no idea what you were doing, but then I presume you were obviously given uh, room to uh, you know basically make a, a lot of mistakes and not know what you were doing for you know the better part of whatever you know six months to a year when the, the band was first existing. Yeah, yeah. I think we practiced for a really long time before we played any shows. So we uh, yeah no it was it was really really cool and i immediately was like oh i love this i love being able to write and and uh yeah start letting my angst out <laughs> right right uh did you have any other notions of i guess uh you know what you wanted to, to quote unquote do after you uh, you know graduated high school and like the life plans and all that sort of stuff or once music consumed you it was like well that's what i'm gonna do regardless of anything else that happens um I was totally lost, didn't, I wasn't a good student, um, didn't want to go to college, um, my father made me go to college, and was like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know, uh, whoa, you want to, like, I don't know, maybe, uh, like, have a restaurant or something? And that was, I remember saying that, <laughs> okay, cool, so you go to school for business then? I'm like, okay, I went to school for business, so I went to the school, Went to college for business and got there, realized it was like all like an, an accounting class, like another math, it was like two math classes, economics class. I'm like, this is not, this is, uh, this is never going to work. I remember getting home and being like, this is never going to work. He's like, why? I'm like, I'm not, I'm too dumb to do this. I, I can't do this. I'm a terrible student. I'm pretty sure I have like a learning disability but back then they didn't really call them learning disabilities they just said like your son doesn't pay attention sure and like i was like this isn't gonna work so daryl was going to school like a few hours north 
and uh, I met a girl who was going to his school who was real like cute and nice and just started dating her and stopped going to class uh, for like the rest of the semester. <laughs> nice. And basically had a really stern, like when my parents found out that I stopped going to class, um, my dad was basically like, you're going to go, you're going to go to school. You're going to have one. I'm going to give you one more chance. And then you're like, basically you are fucked. Like, I'm not gonna, he, you know, he was paying for me to go to a school and stuff. So I remember being like, okay, like I think my life's going to become miserable because my dad's going to hate me. And my parents are going to like pretty much just say, all right, go fucking pump gas. You know what I mean? Kind of situation. So I was like, all right, I can't do business. All right, don't do business. So I did liberal arts for my second year and I did all right. And, stuff but while that was going on i uh while that was going on we were doing movie life and we were talking about like touring because bands like vod and mind over matter and sound majority like they were starting to tour and we were like we can do that like we can tour people that's what you do you tour like we're going to be one of those bands that tours and we decided that and um and yes, yeah, so I was also going through like a really tough time. Like I got arrested around that time for this really gnarly situation where we got into a big fight. Uh, me and my friends got into a fight with some other dudes and this one of the dudes got pretty badly hurt in the fight. So we all got arrested for felony, um, felony assaults mm-hmm. and it lasted like two years, like right when movie life started pretty much. Um, is the same time I also was going through through all of that. So it took me about two years to get through like the whole legal process. Um, I didn't get convicted of a felony, thankfully. And um, but during that whole time, I remember I told my dad that I was gonna um, drop out of s- school and go on tour and be like the band's gonna try and like you know tour. And I remember telling him that sitting in court, like waiting, (laughs) waiting for my name to be called. And then thinking later, like, why the fuck did I tell him that at that time? You know, but my dad's like an artsy guy. My dad was into into music and into art. And he was like, you know, my parents are pretty supportive, cautiously supportive of me trying to go out on tour and, and be a rocker. But, you know that was always a thing they're like yeah like you know what's your goal and it's just you know when 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 you come from a hardcore kind of scene it's not like oh well we want to be rock stars like it was never like that which is like oh the goal is to play shows in lots of different places you know and have right. fun no i know that's i just love that notion like there could not be more inappropriate timing to share another monumental life decision of, uh, uh, than in a court about to be potentially put away in some capacity. It's like, yeah, hey, for real. Check this out. It's like, oh my god, my kid's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I do, uh, you know. Fast forwarding a, a couple, you know, years in regards to, uh, I, I remember obviously after you had released the first full length on Rev, um, and then obviously the full length that came before that. Um, people had started to recognize the band, and you guys were obviously getting out there just because, like you said, you were touring so much. Um, when did you feel like that people actually like, I guess, gave a shit about what you were doing, you know, like where you recognize it, like, Oh wow. Like this is a uh, meaningful, uh, in some capacity. Um, some of the tours, 
before we signed to Rev, like maybe the whole year before, maybe like 99, the year before we signed to Rev, some of the, some of the shows that we were playing and some of, like some of the shows we were playing not on Long Island, there were people starting to sing along a little bit here and there. Like I remember going to Pittsburgh and there was like, uh, uh, like five dudes that all knew each other that were all up front, like bothering everyone else, like because they were the guys that knew our songs. And we were like, holy shit. And just people like requesting songs um, and like some places in the Northeast that started happening, like some places in Massachusetts, you know, Pennsylvania, stuff like that. Um, and and I think I think a big thing was we started drawing like three, four, five hundred people on Long Island, and that goes a long way. Like when when you become like one of the bigger local bands, like you seem to like that seems to seep out, you know. And and also you know we started being that strong local opener for like some national acts and stuff. So when that was going on, that was pretty special. Like. We would we would open for for like we opened for like the Get Up Kids and we opened for like Anniversary and we opened for Sensefield and like we were super stoked to be opening for like touring acts and at the same time like your name starts to get out there like oh yeah we, we know the movie life they played right before us and people went crazy and you know what I mean um, and that was a kind of the way it started happening nice nice. Um, and then obviously once you guys, uh, you know, signed a drive through, I definitely remember, um, there was a, a large, you know, basically the people who had kind of, you know, grown up with you guys and, you know, rooted along for you, um, was, you know, were nervous about the move where it's like, Oh, drive through just because it's like we were talking about earlier. It was such a monolith at that point where they were able to, um, you know, kind of take bands and really kind of put them to the next level. So like from a business perspective, I get, you know, I mean, I get, and obviously got at the time what you guys were doing. Um, was there any sort of like nervousness once you guys started to play in a, uh, I guess a bigger pond, so to speak, um, when you guys obviously signed to drive through, um, at that point we had been going so hard and we were definitely like, you know, we're, we're enjoying this. We want to keep, like you said, taking things to the next level. And that was definitely, you know, we knew that we were like, we knew that there would be a perception of like, okay, well, they're turning their back on like the hardcore realness and they're going to sign to this like pop punk ska label and they're going to try and be famous. And I think that like for us, we were just kind of more like we were feeling like, I guess back then it was, it seemed like, all right, we need a new van. We need a new trailer. We need bit more distribution like we're working really hard and we need we need everything to be up to the next level and like signing to revelation was like a fucking dream like i back then i remember just being like all right life has been made like i've i've peaked right i've peaked at 20 years old like we're, we're signing to revelation records and they're talking to us about doing like you know, they're releasing another Rev compilation and like our song is right in between like Youth of Today and Side by Side. And I'm like, this is what it's all about. And but eventually, like when you're sitting in the van for like nine months a year, 
um, you start to see like, okay, if we're going to be doing this, then we need to bring it to the next level. So with the drive-through situation, it was too, you know, and, and moving the drive-through was really big for us. I mean, we moved to drive-through. Uh, I remember we had never, like we had, we were all basically like leeching off of our parents and like, I'm sure our parents were just like, you know, how long is this going to last? Like, couldn't afford to eat on tour, couldn't afford to do anything, like, couldn't afford clothes. And I remember drive-thru was just like, yeah, this is what we would want to offer you guys. And we were just like, whoa, like, you know, we get new guitars and we get a van and we get, you know, a trailer and basically all the shit we need to like basically do this even harder, you know? Um, and I remember we got like an advance, like we all got money and that was like, Oh my God, I can like, what is this? Exactly. Like I, I, it was fucking crazy. Nothing crazy. Like not, no, no, like massive amounts of money, but just like literally like touring nine months. Like I would say in 2000, I probably, I, I was probably, I probably toured the entire year. I would say in 2000, I probably made about $500. You know what I mean? Right, right. So it was really cool. Like signing the drive-through was, you know, something that had to be done for us to kind of, yeah, like we're doing this. People do like us. We need more resources. We need more help. And, uh, yeah, and it made total sense. Sure. Yeah, definitely. The, um, and then, uh, obviously, I mean, I, I'm not going to belabor points, you know, in between, obviously, when you guys, you know, are breaking up and all that sort of stuff, just because, you know, it's been pretty well documented. You are a person that does interviews, so that's not uh, something right. you can't find out in many places. But kind of the, the feeling that I always try to um, get out of these talks I have where, you know, once one thing kind of comes to an end, some people have difficulty kind of transitioning into um, some semblance of a real life where it's like, obviously, when you are going to be more present at home and, um, you know, obviously have to figure out what you're doing after the band starts to wind down. Um, were there times in your head that was, were kind of difficult for you to wrap around like, Oh shit. Like now that the movie life is ending, like, you know, I could breathe a sigh of relief, but like, what's, uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, where's this going to happen? You know, all the time. Okay. It's, I still have those feelings, you know, I'm uh, being a musician and trying to do that with your life is so inconsistent. And so, it's a roller coaster. It's like, it's a great way to, it's a fun life and it's very satisfying life and being able to create and travel and do all that stuff. And it's, it's obviously it's for me, you know, it's definitely like in my wheelhouse. Otherwise I wouldn't still be doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you have doubts all the time. It gets tough. Um, things aren't always easy. Things aren't always fun, but you know, the you always have the comparison of would I be happier doing something else? Would I be happier um, with a normal job in the grind, like rush hour traffic, rush hour traffic home, dealing with five different bosses and this and that? I there's no way that I could do that any of that, and it's not because like maybe at one point I could have done that. But I just, this is what I've been doing for so long that, like, I'm not even qualified. 
I'm like the most unqualified dude of all time, except if we're talking about writing songs and putting and playing shows. Um, and that's, you know, it's a little scary, but as an adult, you kind of, you kind of diversify and you figure out ways you do lots of different things. When I was young, it would be like, Oh, I'm doing movie life. I'm not going to do anything else. This is what I do. Now I do lots of stuff. Um, and, and that's the other thing. Like for me, I've, I think it seems like I'm busier than I am. Um, I, I spend a lot of time at home. Um, neither of my bands tour full time. I would say that the most full time thing I have is the solo thing because I'm in just beginning a cycle with that. Um, but I spend like, I probably spend this year, I'll probably be on tour maybe three or four months total. And that's a lot for me. So I, I don't have this thing where it's like, you know, when are you going to start wanting to stay home more? I'm at home a lot. So and, and when I'm home, I can really enjoy being home. Yeah, I, I, I like that that notion too because there is obviously all of us can look back at our touring years and be like um you know oh like you know whatever we were doing it you know not smartly or whatever but i I do like the notion of you being rooted to you know the real world while also still existing within the artistic context because i think you know when you spend 10 months out of the year in the suspended state of animation that is tour you don't like you're not experiencing anything besides like waiting around for you know the doors to open and like right. not having, yeah. yeah, like you said, you're, you're spending, you know, a good, you know, eight months out of the year existing in your day-to-day life. That's going to probably cause more uh, inspiration than it would be, you know, in a tour van or whatever. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so once you, uh, once you obviously started to play shows again with the movie life and, uh, you know, take, <laughs> take what I like to call the quote unquote victory lap in a way where it's like, you can obviously play shows that, you know, aren't going to be, um, you know, in front of five people. Um, was the, uh, was, was the focus from your perspective, obviously like, you know, being good live, but then, um, did the worry creep in where it was like, okay, well now that we've committed to these, you know, high profile shows, um, are are we going to suck? Like, is this, is this going to totally tarnish whatever we've built over the the, the past couple of years? Um, or was it just like, let's just focus on trying to do what we do. I think the main objective when we all met up about the movie life, the main objective was to not suck. Like that was the, (laughs) the, the main goal was, okay, we definitely, we definitely need to be good. (laughs) So, let's practice a while before we even tell people that we're thinking of playing shows, you know? So we put a lot of emphasis into practice and, you know, did it the right way. Um, maybe it was a little bit of a gamble, not playing a few warm up shows, like in small places, like more like, you know, places that we would have played when we were a band, you know, 15 years ago. But it worked out really well. We, our first shows were in Irving Plaza in New York, which I think it holds around 1,100 people. We played two shows there. And they were like the two best shows we've ever had. And we were like, cool. We were prepared. Like, nobody fucked up. We all know the songs. The crowd was crazy. And, I mean, when we were a band, we, we headlined Irving Plaza once. And that was it. Like, we broke up at our peak. Like, we broke up probably... I don't know, three months after we played our biggest headlining show. Mm -hmm. 
And then, yeah, when we came back, we were just drawing, you know, you know how it all works. It's like Hot Water Music. Like, Hot Water Music was kind of the band that I would always parallel it to, where it was like, when Hot Water Music would play in New York, there'd be two or 300 people there. And then when they got back together, like, the third time or whatever, <laughs> it was like, holy shit, Hot Water Music's playing fucking Webster Hall or, like, some massive rooms. Um, and that's the way it worked for us. I mean, we, it's... It, you know, people people get really romantic about bands, and so do I. Um, and you know, with the movie life, it was cool. Like we we got to play our biggest and best shows last year. Yeah, no, that's exciting because it's it's really uh, yeah, it's nerve wracking anytime you do something that people have a certain expectation for from across the board. It's like people that have never seen you before, people that saw you in the past, and you're just like, well, uh, all, all we can do is focus on not sucking. <laughs> Yeah, I think everyone in movie life's like personal egos just totally were uh, like would not allow suck suckiness, you know. All right, here's the final interruption, but it's not an interruption because I'm telling you about rad shit, and that rad shit is Blue Apron. So what they do is they pick amazing meals for you, and they send it to you in this awesome refrigerated box. And then what you do is you take it out, you look at this beautiful card that tells you how to make these unbelievable meals for yourself and your family or your loved one or maybe your mother and father that you can impress them that you know how to cook. And it's super simple. All meals can be prepared in 40 minutes or less and they deliver to 99% of the continental US. And they don't waste any ingredients because, you know, you know, when you get this recipe, card from like your grandma and you're like you know what i really want to make these cookies and then you make these cookies and then you've got 97 pounds of butter left over blue apron takes out all the guesswork and they walk you through step by step it's awesome and what i've noticed too is it's really impactful for families that want to cook together because there's something about that shared experience where it's like you know i'm chopping up stuff and my wife is saying hey do this and i'm like oh i messed up i did this but it's kind of that cute little back and forth and it's just a really really strong bonding experience so check out some of the meals that they have available in june and to be clear i'm vegan but you can substitute really, really cool stuff of your own that you have in order to make the meals vegan. But they offer meat and they offer vegetarian options. They offer a lot of stuff. But here's some of the meals. Spicy Korean rice cakes with snow peas and pea shoots. I had that. It's unbelievable. Sweet chili ponzu catfish and green beans with coconut ginger rice, if that's your thing. New England style salmon rolls with roasted potatoes and chives. Like I said, they got options for everybody. So what you need to do is check out this week's menu and get two meals for free. Basically, I'm buying you dinner with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash words. You'll love how good it feels, tastes, and to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash words. W-O-R-D-S. Blue Apron. It's a better way to cook. Please, people. And then reflecting on obviously the, the the solo stuff that you've been doing, uh, you know, for quite some time, and obviously the uh, you've expressed this in, in multiple interviews, and I think it's really um, it's really telling of obviously growing into more a, a adult life, where if you really you know if you released a solo record in your early twenties, um, it probably would be terrible, you know. Yes. Like, <laughs> I like how you, you, you've noticed that and you recognize that because I, I know a lot of people sometimes rush to uh, enter this certain phase in their life where they're just like, oh yeah, I'm going to control everything and I'll be my own band to do this and then um, you know, it falls flat. Um, 
you know, so, so walk me through that idea of like, you know, when you felt, I guess, comfortable enough in your own skin to be able to, you know, have your namesake as the, uh, the project that you're doing. Um, you know, I was playing a lot of solo shows in the last, I guess, 10 years. I would play solo shows and I would basically do like a cover and I would do some movie life songs and some avalanche songs. And that was cool. But I really liked doing solo shows. And it became kind of my job, too. Like, I was like, oh, like, you know, I can play a bunch of solo shows and that can be part of how I make my living. You know, when you start thinking about that kind of stuff. And um, eventually, yeah, I released an, an EP. I was like, I'm going to do an EP and then I'm going to go out and tour on it. So I did the EP and uh, I had a really awesome year touring on this on the EP. And... Um, I look back on that EP like, oh, wow, like that was a good learning experience. I really like it. I like the songs. I like the way the songs sound better when I just play them by myself, like at a show. Um, but it was basically like that. I, I was totally down and, and, and I wanted to add that to kind of the list of things that I do regularly. And um, the EP was kind of like a test of the waters to see what, a Vinny record like release sounds like and um I learned a lot from it like I basically wrote a bunch of songs and I don't think I I don't think I did them justice on the EP because I was too like really really caught up in the fact that it was me and we it can't sound like a band like so all the songs are like really stripped down and there's not even a bass guitar on the record and it sounds a little bit empty to me. So this time around, I was just kind of like, these songs are going to sound the way they sound. And I'm not going to fight the fact, I'm not going to fight like the urge to put instrumentation on these songs just because my name's on the cover, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, the time came for me to, you know, I was waiting for an opportunity and a window to do like a full length proper solo record and and it happened like last year became open for me and i just like charged it head on nice nice um you mentioned on more than one occasion where just this uh you know once you obviously grow as a musician and you're able to kind of you know do a bunch of different things that can add up to you know some monicum of a living um so what else do you explore uh beyond obviously just you know the solo shows that you do and obviously creating music um what else do you do outside of the context of, of that that obviously you know either gives you um you know f- fills you with meaning or obviously contributes to your financial status i do songwriting um i'm a songwriter for for a large uh like a large publishing house. Oh, okay. So I, um, that's come something that's relatively new. So it's basically, it's the movie life, um, the rare, I'm the avalanche show solo shows. And I work as a songwriter and like composer. It's called like a top liner pretty oh, much is what I'm called. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I don't have a business card that says top liner yet, but, uh, <laughs> I get requests from the company that I signed with and um, they, you know, they'll be like, yeah, you know, this, they need a, they need new lyrics for this kid who doesn't know how to write lyrics or he needs help, you know, he needs help expressing himself or we need melodies for this chorus and stuff like that. And then there's stuff too where it's like, 
you know, there's spots open for this commercial or that commercial or this movie or whatever, um, and they take submissions. So when I'm home, like, I'll just create stuff and submit it, and you just wait for things to get picked up or not get picked up or, you know. But you basically just keep busy. It's a perfect... Uh, it's a perfect thing for me because it's not like, hey, you hold on a second, you're going on tour. It's more like I tell them when my dates are blacked out and I tell them when I'm going to be around. And then they say, oh, okay, well, we have this, 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 and this for when you're home. And I say, okay, cool. Right. That's cool. I, I mean, I do. I always like when people such as yourself can obviously enter a uh, you know more structured or you know some would argue obviously corporate environment from the idea of you yeah. know, cr- creating songs but it's like I always you know I- I've had multiple friends that have you know done that sort of stuff and like you know sat down to like write with people um, but then you know you you and you know I'll, I'll lump my other friends into this uh, where you guys almost act sometimes as a uh, uh, a guide to these people who it's like you know because obviously it's like the record labels like oh this person can't write like sit in the same room with them for eight hours and you know belt out some shit and then like you know a majority of that writing session is almost like you talking to the person on just like hey so like what are you trying to accomplish like you know what are, what are they telling you what to do and you're like okay well then what do you want to do and like it, it's like a counseling session i've seen and I, i've heard stories about people kind of ushering through that scenario um is, is that something that you've experienced as well where it's like oh here i can tell you like my experiences because they're vastly different than what your um you know probably record label is looking for you to accomplish yeah um i i find that a lot of young artists want to get real <laughs> and uh meaning they feel like they're you know when a young person gets signed to a record label because they can sing their ass off and like they're not they're good looking you know that th- that's probably awesome as a young dude to sign a deal. You probably get pretty rich. Like if you're 18 years old and you're getting a six figure advance, you're, you're, you're feeling pretty fucking good about yourself. But as soon as you get into it, the label's like, um, okay, we want you to sound like train. And they're just like, well, I want to sound like Queens of the stone age. Okay. Well, we're the fucking boss here and you're going to sound like train. So when I meet with young artists and stuff, I'm just like, um, cool. Well, what do you want to do? I just want to be fucking real. I just want to get real. <laughs> and I'm like, cool. You came to the right dude. Let's fucking get real. And they're like, yeah, the label. But I'm like, listen, label's not my boss. We, we're going to do, we're going to make some awesome shit here, you know? And that's exactly what it is. All right. What do we want to write about? Like, what do you want to write about with me? What would you like me to help you write about? And it is like a therapy session and they end up becoming, um, you know, kind of, they end up becoming your little brother or your little sister for the day or, and it's cool. I mean, you know, when you do enter this new corporate like realm, um, which maybe I haven't seen the shittiest sides of it yet because I'm relatively new at doing this. Um, I hope to not see that much shittiness. I hope to just churn out music and, and basically generate income. Um, and, you know, basically just, you know, make sure that when I'm doing stuff, regardless of what I'm doing, it has to do with music. That's, that's the main idea is to not, not bartend and squeeze music in when I can. It's stay busy with music all the time and life will be a happy place, you know? Yeah, no, that's, Um, that's exciting. The, uh, the last thing I want to hit on was like, obviously since, you know, when you were, uh, 
telling your parents that you were just going to do this thing and tour and obviously it made no sense what's made no sense whatsoever to them um did you did they like come to your shows like when you came back and played and you know you whatever you headlined irving plaza like did they see obviously that your band was was meaningful to people um or did they just kind of obviously hear uh you know through you that uh things are going well yeah they would come out to shows um they came out to some of the smaller shows in the beginning um and then yeah they came out to we had a few pretty triumphant kind of long island and like new york city kind of shows and they would come out to those i would i like had tattoos from i started like getting sleeves like and working on you know visible tattoos at when i was like i don't even know eight like right when i turned 18 so i like hid my tattoos from my parents like i would wear long sleeve shirts in the summer and like literally not hang out with them like oh we're gonna go blah blah blah. i'm like no and literally like my tattoos would be like the reason why i would basically didn't spend any time with my parents in my early 20s um because i didn't want them to see and i thought i would get in trouble and then i remember at the headlining show at irving plaza i took like a long sleeve shirt off and i was you know I had tattoos all over my arms and was basically in, uh, into the microphone was just like, sorry, mom. <laughs> That's amazing. You're like, here's my coming out party. Here's all this. Yeah. Hey, but look, there's like, you know, thousand people here. And isn't this great? Like I'm, uh, we're successful. Right. You know? <laughs> I, I, I like how you, uh, you learned from your past mistake of revealing touring with your father in the courthouse to be like, okay, I got to do this in the ideal scenario. That's, well, that's funny that you say that, too, because I kind of forgot about this. Um, they knew that I had a tattoo because they didn't know I had tattoos, like a ton of them in places where you can see them, like like all over your arms. And um, the reason they knew I had a tattoo is because one of they were both in court with me for that for that thing. And um, this one time and for some fucking reason, my lawyer's like. So, do you have any tattoos? And I was like, yes. And both my parents just look at me and go, what? You have tattoos? What are you talking about? And I asked my lawyer, I'm like, why why did you ask me if I had tattoos in front of my parents? And he goes, well, these are things we need to know because, you know, it's better not to have them showing in court and this and that. I go... We're in court. I'm wearing a suit. You can't see the tattoos. Why do you have to ask me if I need tattoos? I'm wearing a suit. Can you see any tattoos? I remember getting this argument with the lawyer, just being like, why did you just blow up my spot? It's funny. That's incredible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dude, dude, this really didn't like, well, that's not relevant to the case at all, is it? <laughs> yeah, this isn't relevant at all. Like, what am I going to wear? Like a, sh- a short sleeve suit? Right. Yeah, totally. I'm I've got to look professional. I'm not going to yeah. show up in in my yeah, my VOD shirt and camo shorts. Yeah. Biohazard <laughs> shirt. <laughs> Even better. Well, Vinny, thank you so much for uh walking down memory lane and walking me through all this. This was uh this was really fun for me. I hope you enjoyed it in some capacity. I did. I love uh I love memory lane. Yeah. <laughs> That's a awesome. good it's good, good street. So there was Mr. Vinny Karuna, and I want to thank uh, Talia, the publicist extraordinaire to the stars, who uh, hooks up these conversations for me. And it's uh, it's always fun to be working with friends on fun stuff. And thank you to Vinny for spending a nice little afternoon over Skype, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. So. 
Oh man. So visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. And the, re- the reason I'm taking a breath is because I'm just like, uh, I-, I just get overwhelmed sometimes in a positive way because uh, this show is uh, is so meaningful to me. So many fun things have happened because of this. And I just uh, am continually impressed that so many of you uh, check it out still. And I love it because uh, I always notice when I get the uh, drive-by listeners where a person checks in on one show and is like, oh, you talk you talk about yourself too much. This sucks. And it's like, well, have you ever listened to another podcast ever? It's like, well, no, you haven't. So then, okay, maybe you're just not familiar with the medium. (laughs) I'm having conversations, not particularly interviews, but anyways, I digress. I just love you people. And I'd like to give you a virtual hug. Do you feel that? Okay. And then if you'd like to reach back out to me, you can email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com. And uh, I, I know you've noticed recently, there's been a lot of sponsors on the show. And it's incredible. It's a very good feeling to have people wanting to support this show from that perspective and support them. So support Blue Apron, support Weebly, support Audible, support SeatGeek, all the recent sponsors we've had, and there'll be some other cool ones coming up in the future. I'm very excited to talk to you about them because ultimately, at the end of the day, I personally believe in all these uh, companies and the services they offer. So do it up because it makes the show look cool if you're actually sampling this stuff because that's the whole point of the thing. Anyways, next week's show will be, um, I don't know, do I want to tell you? Do I want to tell you? Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, I'm I'm fairly certain. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to tell you. I got to keep it under wraps. Okay, sorry. Secrets. So that's just what you have to do. But uh, please, please, please be safe, everybody. (laughs) I'll talk to you next week.